welcome to Chicago's Radical Kinship Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Kelly, broadcasting from Old St. Pat's Church in Chicago's West Loop, where we listen to the needs of those on the margins to savor our communities and transform us beyond what divides us. On this episode, we enter into dialogue to discuss the origins and growing effects of North Lawndale Works, an ongoing campaign to help remove barriers to employment for people in North Lawndale community. The campaign operates on the pillars of donate, network, and engage, where focus is to generate needed funds, identify job opportunities, and advocate for social justice reforms and support for our workforce development's partners. We're also joined by leaders from the organization YMEN, which stands for the Young Men's Educational Network, a North Lawndale nonprofit preparing men and women for leadership by helping them grow in their faith and character, develop a love for learning, and use their talents to serve the community to strengthen families. My guests on this show include OSP owns Mike Hobbs. Mike is a retired business owner who is using his business experience to mentor and advise entrepreneurs and small business owners today. He is a strategic and operational business leader with a successful track record of optimizing value in the manufacturing space. Throughout the career of demonstrated success, Mike capitalized on market potential and built strong internal and external partnerships. He currently serves on several boards of directors, including Iowa Glass Depot, Balmore University, LIFT, which stands for Leading India's Future Today, New Covenant Community Development Corporation, and Veterinary Pharmaceutical Solutions. Mike is a member of Old St. Pat's Church, where he is active in several areas of community outreach, including the Kinship Initiative and North Lawndale Works, where he is now working with small businesses and communities of color to help them accomplish what he was successfully doing during his 50 years in business. Next, we are joined by Father Larry Dowling, the pastor of St. Agatha Parish, a predominantly African-American parish on Chicago's west side. He received his Doctor of Ministry from the University of St. Mary's of the Lake in 1998. His justice work includes moderator of the Priest for Justice for Immigrants in Chicago, former president of the Board of Arise Chicago, an interfaith labor organization, and board member of the Tolton Black Scholars Advisory Board at CTU. He also served as founding member of the Anti-Racism Implementation Team for the Archdiocese. He is involved in city and local citywide community efforts through the Community Renewal Society. He is a restorative justice practitioner and a promoter of the restorative justice practices in local schools, in county jail and juvenile detention, and within community homes with local families. He also serves on the steering committee for the North Lawndale Restorative Justice Community Court. He is a founding member of the Archdiocese Healing Garden Community. He is a published writer, an avid reader, backpacker, and cyclist. Next, we are delighted to have Mike Trout, the Executive Director of Strategy and Development of Wyman, who first and foremost is a husband of 28 years, father of five, and grandfather of seven, and still counting. Mike and his wife Karen moved to North Landell in 1992 after graduating from Wheaton College. In 1996, Mike and a group of 12 boys started their own community-based organization called the, y- the Young Men's Educational Network, or Wyman, as it is known in North Lawndale. Beginning with after-school tutoring in the Trout's apartment, Wyman has steadily grown over the past 24 years and now serves 300 youth each year by partnering with five local schools and offering after-school and weekend programs six days a week. Mike Trout not only founded Wyman, but has faithfully led as its executive director for 24 years, helping to serve thousands of students and their families while working to bring more than $12 million of additional external resources back to North Lawndale. Some of these resources have helped Wyman create five lots of urban gardening, as well as outdoor sport courts, clubhouses that has served more than 500 youth and their mentors. Finally, we are joined by Antoine Brewer, the program coordinator of Wyman. Born and raised in North Lawndale, Antoine is one of Wyman's alumni that continues to live out the core values of the Wyman organization. He has been a part of the Wyman family since the third grade. He graduated from Trinity College in May of 2017. After completing his bachelor's degree in communication, he came back to North Lawndale to invest in the lives of the youth with the Better Boys Family Services and By the Hand Club for Kids. After obtaining some infield work experience, he came back to the place where he felt God called him to be, Wyman. Mike Hobbs, Mike Trout, and Antoine Brewer, welcome to the Radical Kinship Podcast. So this has been a long time coming, I think, uh, for this series, and we really wanted to touch more and explore more of, the, of North Lawndale Works and its role with the kinship, and then we'll also uh, 
hear more about Wyman and the network of how that's uh, empowering um, young men in North Lawndale. But Mike Hobbs, maybe it's best that you kick it off. If you could explain more about North Lawndale Works and your involvement. Yes, uh, I got involved with uh, uh, the capital campaign at Old St. Pat's Church in, night, in eight, uh, 2014 when we were doing a capital campaign and the community came back and said, we'll support a capital campaign, but we want there to be a community piece involved in that in order for us to feel good about supporting the church and the capital campaign and the things we want to do, what's the community piece going to be? And it came back, uh, we came up with this kinship initiative to walk with the community of North Lawndale because it was a nearby community and people thought that that was uh, a good place for us to get involved. And as a result of that, I met Vince Guider, who was hired by Old St. Pat's to head up the Kinship Initiative. And we kind of said, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to do this? And Vince contacted some people in North Lawndale and said, we as a, a Catholic church community are interested in walking with your community. Can you help us figure out what the right thing is to do, how we could do this without just showing up and saying we're here to help? And over a two-year period, with Vince's guidance uh, and a couple of people from North Lawndale, one of them being Rodney Brown, another being Eric, uh, I forget his name, was an insurance agent there. We met once a month for a couple of years and said, you know, how do we do something that brings meaning to the community of Old St. Pat's and how do we walk with North Lawndale? And over that period of time, we came up with the name North Lawndale Works as we began to realize one of the great obstacles of the community of North Lawndale was people getting jobs in that community. So that got us started down the path of how do we help in walking with the North Lawndale community. And so North Lawndale Works has grown out of that first effort starting back in 2015. And today we're now uh, involved in several uh, opportunities in North Lawndale through North Lawndale Employment Networks, uh, New Covenant Community Development Corporation and various other efforts that the people of North, uh, the people of Old St. Pat's are contributing to trying to raise up the community of North Lawndale. So that's, that's how we got started. And I'm thrilled to be part of that because as a business owner and a manufacturing business owner, I'm thrilled to be able to help people figure out either how to get jobs, keep a job, better themselves through their job because that's how people you know, improve their lives and the lives of their family by getting a good job to start with and then keeping that job. So uh, that's why I'm involved and why I'm excited about what's going on in North Lawndale, Kevin. No, that's, that's great. Well, Mike, that's a, a great introduction. I think part of the issue too is sustainable employment, right? Not just kind of just hourly minimum wage type jobs, but actually something that's sustainable, it's dignifying. And maybe Mike Trout or Antoine, if you could speak more to kind of the history, brief history of North Lawndale and it, its kind of current economic status now and some of the, the issues that people are facing in the neighborhood when it comes to employment. Well, obviously the employment issue has been uh, a significant challenge uh, and it does uh, stem from um, a lot of historical transition. North Lawndale used to be a Bohemian Jewish community um, at its height had uh, you know, 125,000 residents um, was home to some businesses that held their national headquarters here, including Sears Roebuck and Company and Western Electric and um, a variety of other manufacturing companies. Um, and one time was home to 60,000 jobs. Uh, you can imagine 60,000 jobs in one community. Uh, today, there are um, around 35 to maybe 40,000 residents total in North Lawndale. And we have lost those um, economic engines, those, those corporate kind of um, resources of those companies have, have left. Of course, the manufacturing sector has dried up and there were the riots following the assassination of Martin Luther King in 1968, where uh, out of anger and frustration, a lot of the community was destroyed, was looted, was burned. Um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of rage um, at King being assassinated. And um, following that, there was some redlining where businesses were, were discouraged. There was a divestment that took place 
and businesses were uh, discouraged from reinvesting in the community as well as um, people from buying in the community. Um, and so it's created this tremendous vacuum where there has not been uh, employment opportunities, there's not been um, home ownership. And of course, that's how you create ghetto type communities. You remove the resources, you remove the stable families, you remove the job opportunities. And, uh, and this generation that we have now in North Lawndale was born into this historical context. Um, they are not the, the, the reason why there's struggle in North Lawndale. They have inherited this struggle. And uh, I'm so proud of Old St. Pat's and kinship and efforts like this that say, you know what, if we wanna change the, the, the narrative of the North Lawndale community uh, to be a community of hope, uh, to be a community where people can flourish and prosper, people can build equity and wealth, have jobs, find their purpose, find their identity as to who they are and what they are, then that's gonna be all hands on deck and we're all gonna need to invest our time, our talent, our treasure, and we're gonna need to, to create a new narrative where we care and reinvest in this community. And I think that's what brings us here today. There is a collective effort from white, black, from those indigenous to the community and from those outside of the community that it is past due to reinvest in the families and the young people and in the infrastructure of this community. Oh, that, yeah, that's great. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. So um, now, especially the, the community building of, you know, it's both members that live in North Lawndale, people from Old St. Pat's and people from outside uh, coming together. And, it, and it's definitely, there's been an eye or a turn to, again, what companies and corporations can do and local businesses kind of helping support that out. And that really helps lead to the work that uh, both you and Antoine are doing. Could you tell us more about uh, the Young Men's Education Network? Go ahead, Antoine. Mm, so why man, the Young Men's Education Network has been around since 1996. It was started in Mike's basement. <laughs> but um, some of the work that they've been doing, well, we've been doing for the last 25 years is trying to um, put programs or systems into place that combat all of those things that Mike talked about, um, like the lack of ownership, um, the the um, Lundell being like a job desert for, for the urban community. And so some of the things we've done is um, we, we've actually um, bought property and put, it, and put systems into place that can help um, community members that are a part of the organization become homeowners. Um, one of the properties that we, we recently bought was a um, dilapidated building on the same block that Mike lives on and made it into condos. And um, with the condos, they give give um, staff and like college and career, career students who were in Wyman an opportunity to come in and own it, right? Um, trying, and so Wyman is trying to bridge that gap between um, the community members being able to own things. Um, another thing that, that we do on a nightly basis is our, is our program, where we teach um, the importance of faith and character, um, the love for learning, and um, inspiring the youth to um, want to serve the community. So part of the reason our community is the way it is is because we have this mindset that um, when we become successful, we have to leave, right? And we think that, um, but but if we um, actually pay close attention, like if all of us leave, would it still be considered a hood, right? So if we look at it from that perspective, like so what? So what's the real issue, right? People are taking their talents and they run away from the community. And so um, we, we try and use the, our program as a way to inspire our youth to take ownership of our community by um, teaching them about the importance of, of faith, character, and um, serving leadership. Um, we have um, college scholarships. We we provide them with um, tutoring Monday, well, before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, we still was um, providing um, e-learning services. So when the pandemic happened, we actually um, emptied our computer lab and, and distributed the, com the computers to um, 
students in our program around our community. And we bought Chromebooks and we held um, e-learning class here at Wyman where we had six students per class. And we were working with them from the time they were in school to the time they got out ever since the pandemic. So um, we do a bunch of different things to try and combat all of the different issues that we have. And um, it's like some of the main roots of the problem is the lack of ownership, right? And the fact that um, we, we've been given this idea that in order to um, be successful, we have to get out of our community. And so we're just doing our best to try and combat and rewrite that narrative. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And I think part of that too, and the, the ownership, home ownership particularly is very important because it, it helps bridge that gap of, of generational wealth that exists. You know, Mike Trout, you did a, you did a wonderful job of, of explaining the history of North Lawndale. And I think one of the things too is like the war on, the war on drugs right? and it has also impacted uh, the community, right? Of uh, at one point, 12% of Illinois inmates were, were all from the North Lawndale region. And like that just continues to create a pattern of uh, inequality. And it, it, it takes that plight away from employment and and ways for people to kind of re-enter the system. Have how have um, you seen issues? You know, having somebody with a felony on their record, uh, the lack of education, or other issues that people have faced that have barred them from being able to maintain employment, other than just not having jobs. That, you know, there in the community. Yeah, when when uh, my wife and I moved into the neighborhood thirty years ago, and when we moved in, we were amazed at the percentage of men from our community who've served time in incarceration. Um, and the, the policing, uh, the over-policing has really uh, hurt significantly African-American families and uh, separated the family unit. So um, obviously dealing with the kind of prison industrial complex and, and the way that um, uh, the criminalization of African-American males especially has is, 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 is been a main concern and was really the impetus for starting the Young Men's Educational Network, which started out to be a strictly fraternal uh, male uh, enrichment program, um, which is now morphed. So now we have young women in our program and we have a girls program. So uh, the name is a little bit deceptive being the Young Men's Educational Network. We, we are doing um, collaborative work with our sisters um, and partly because we realize that the absence of a positive male role model or an active father in a family affects boys and girls. And uh, it took us a while to get to the girl side of things, but uh, the girls let us know that there must be equity in these, uh, these organizations that we have. So we finally realized that to light another candle doesn't diminish the candle that we currently have. And so it's really exciting, the work that we're doing with both the young men and the young women. Um, but yeah, you know, we're working on a lot of different fronts to um, help help um, those that perhaps have made mistakes, uh, those that, that do have a record um, move forward. Uh, and there's um, great, great organizations uh, like the Lawndale Christian Legal, um, Legal Group that, you know, advocate on behalf of getting expungements and dealing with past mistakes so that people can write, you know, a beautiful next chapter for them, themselves and their family. Oh, that's great. We're always highlighting the, the work that uh, Cliff Nellis and his team are doing at LCLC. I think at this point, we've mentioned them in every podcast so far. But uh, no, it, it's good to see that, you know, that's just one arm of it, like you said, of uh, being able to, to bring people back in the community to, uh, you know, you're not a bad person making decisions. You're a, a person who has made bad decisions in the past. And it's like just to overcome that and, and to, you know, to not carry a, a life sentence. And essentially, after you've served your time and be barred from, you know, just again, a chance to be able to make a sustainable wage, support your family, and to then uh, have that recidivism. Mark, uh, Mike Hobbs, what, as a business owner, um, what issues have you seen in, in companies coming to North Lawndale or recruiting folks from that area into businesses? And how, and how has that been overcome over the past few years? Well, uh, I was a proponent of hiring people from uh, NLEN. I hired a lot of people from an organization called CARA. And so I got some experience in hiring people who needed a second chance because I felt if people had paid their debt, so to speak, if they had spent time in prison, 
they should be given an opportunity to get their life back together, to get a job, and to lead a normal life. And what I found over the years, because so many young men, particularly in North Lawndale, they kind of had this felon uh, tag hanging around their neck no matter what they did. And uh, to me, it's just a great injustice that our society has put on people who go to jail instead of let's re rehabilitate them, let's prepare them to go back to work, let's prepare them to enter society. They strip them of everything. And so it was so frustrating to me to try and uh, be able to hire people. And so often they weren't prepared to go to work. And yet I would give people a second chance to say, look, you got to come, you got to go to work. And, you know, we had trouble finding people for a long time, but in the last five years I owned the company, we were successful in hiring people from U-Turn uh, and through NLEN and from Kara. But then we also had to be prepared as a business to be willing to sometimes mentor those people who weren't as prepared or hadn't didn't have experience in the workforce. And yeah, it cost us a little time and effort, but we had some great workers that came out of those programs. But the owner or the HR person in the business has got to be willing to take that on and say, we're going to give people a second chance. In my case, I told HR, hire these people and give them an opportunity to show you what they can do. And I would say that 80% of them turned out to be great employees. You know, it's like the rest of the world. You know, the 80-20 rule applies every place you go. But I found that given the opportunity, uh, people who had a prison record, if you just gave them an opportunity and worked with them, they wanted to do well. And we've still got people at my company, which I've since sold, who've been there five and 10 years, who came out of different programs, but they needed a second chance. And so uh, as a business owner, I would tell other business owners, you got to be willing to give people a second opportunity. They made a mistake. They paid the price. Now let's give them the opportunity to rejoin society and rejoin it at a full level at a, a market wage where they can live and have a family if they want to and be a part of society. And it's, it's difficult to do that in many cases. But uh, in my case, as the owner of the business, I said, I owe this to the community. And uh, I think I had hired 35 people uh, in the previous 10 years that came from difficult backgrounds. And uh, I can tell you, it was rewarding for me to see these people grow and a lot of them moved on to other jobs. And that excited me that they could do that. And I'm still a proponent of that today. Oh, that's great. And so Antoine, you, you touched on this a bit and you know, maybe Mike could help too, but how has Wyman uh, transitioned or, or had to pivot a little bit during COVID to still help its members and help the community? And I mean, what impacts with layoff of, of certain jobs have you seen? And now that the city's slowly starting to reopen, uh, what do you look forward to? We, we had to take innovation to another level. Um, so the, the, the body of youth that we work with, um, they weren't able to go to school. And a lot of them, um, they needed extra attention. So um, a few of our students, we had to sit right next to them and do work. But also, not only with um, just education, um, a lot of them weren't working anymore. So we had to think through different ways on how we were going to actually feed the community. And so now we've, um, on, on a weekly basis, I think, what, what is it, Mike, like 250 to 300 um, families get fed because we 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 doing door-to-door -door deliveries. We do a soup kitchen on Wednesdays. Um, we connect with um, Whole Foods, um, Gourmet Gorilla, um, and a few other ch churches as well. And we de deliver food boxes on a weekly basis. So um, we definitely pivoted and we continue to pivot every every chance that we get. We, uh, I know Mike don't really say no to donations. <laughs> uh, if somebody got, saying they have some resource, this is another opportunity for us to be creative and put innovation to um, the test. So, but yeah, that's just some of the ways, like in terms of um, tending to their needs in terms of their education and um, their um, health in terms of food. Another thing we've done, um, we put together a wild man that's been able to 
put together a program where we assist families with um, their um, rent and electrical and different like bills and stuff like that. And so this is, the pandemic has kind of been like a, a um, gateway or, or a bridge to allow us to engage with the community on an even deeper level rather than just having them um, send their kids to the program. We actually um, get a little closer to the family and get to know them more because we were able to um, go to the houses more often. I love what Tom is sharing, and, and I, would, I would echo a lot of his um, you know, words. We've, we've seen in the midst of the struggle and the difficulty a lot of amazing silver linings, you know, almost like the hand of God at work. Um, we've formed some great collaborations with some local churches um, like Stone Temple, like Grace and Peace, and, and we're working hand-in-hand -hand with, with organizational leaders that we hadn't in the past, New Life and others, uh, and it's been, it's been really great. We uh, doubled down on our urban garden because we couldn't do as many things indoors, so we, uh, we, we doubled the size of our urban garden, and, and last summer we actually started growing this specialty jalapeno pepper that's being used to create a hot sauce called Chicago that's being distributed all over the country. So our kids got to see that they could actually uh, grow something, create something that's used in a marketable product that's distributed around the country. And uh, we had some of those bottles of hot sauce at a recent rally that we had in our community and basically sold out. So uh, to see that they're, you know, that they can actually take, take action and create something beautiful, a marketable product was an, another one of the silver linings. And just to see the generosity of God's people during this time of need. Um, we were preparing for this year being, this past year being a really difficult financial year for Wyman. And it actually was the opposite. Um, we were being contacted by people, by organizations, by foundations and by churches saying, we'd like to participate. And, uh, and some, some people were doubling down on, the, on their gifts. They looked at Wyman as a distribution hub of God's resources to the families of North Lawndale. And that's what we've been doing. We've been, we, we get the joy of giving away and supporting and distributing, um, whether it's food. And now we've got bikes and we've got PPE and we've got this rent uh, uh, assistance and, and uh, utility assistance that Antoine's talking about. And even supporting some of our local businesses in the community and, and bringing them additional business. So it has been, I think, the most energizing 18 months in our 25-year history. So while it's been it's been a struggle and it's been difficult, um, we have we have been energized in new and creative ways to become more collaborative in the way we do our work. Oh, that that's great. That you know, I have to definitely get a bottle of that hot sauce. I don't know if my heartburn will appreciate it, but no, that's that's fantastic. And just to see to see all that coming together and the experience of uh, for. for young people to, to see that process unfold and actually have an active part in it. That's, that's amazing. Um, so speaking of uh, recent events, you had a very successful about two weeks ago, Thousand Men March. We're also joined now uh, with Father uh, Lawrence Dowling from St. Agatha's. If um, you want to touch about, I think Mike, that might have been part of your brainchild or you're doing, you definitely were leading the leading the, the crowd. If you could tell us more about how that came to fruition and, and your outcomes from it. We, we were approached, uh, Father Larry, myself, uh, by, by a guy in our community, uh, Robert Calhoun, also known as Rock, and uh, he's got an organization called Men Making a Difference, MAD, Men Making a Difference, and, you know, he really wanted to um, bring the men in the community particularly um, as, as a wake-up call, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Black Lives Matter, especially following, you know, the murder of George Floyd and, and a, kind of an awakening across the country to what we've already known, that some people are um, discriminated against and treated unjustly and unfairly. And uh, Rock wanted to call our attention to some of our own internal issues that we may be overlooking, particularly our young people. Uh, there's a, uh, the Maasai in Kenya, as they greet each other, you know, their greeting to each other is, how are the children? Uh, that's how they say hello. How are the children? And when things are well in the village, they say the children are well. Because if the children are well, the village is well. And uh, if we greeted each other like that and we said, how are the children? 
you know, our answer honestly might be the children are not well. Um, and one reason for the children not being well is our generation needs to do more uh, to love, invest, support, and care for uh, this next emerging generation of young people. And Rock came to us and said he had a burden that he wanted us to communicate to the young people of this generation that they matter, that their lives matter, that their issues matter, that what they're going through matters. And even though they might feel alone, especially during this time of pandemic and isolation, that it's, it's a moral imperative on our generation to step forward and say, our young people matter, our youth matter. And so he wanted to bring a thousand men together um, across churches and across organizations and, and residents to take a stand in solidarity to say that our young people matter. Um, and not only to march, because marching is, is, is a one-time event, but he wanted to make sure our young people are connected to mentoring, uh, our young people are connected to job opportunities, our young people are connected to supportive services and wraparound services and organizations that will walk with them, that our young people are supported by the local church, some churches that, that are only open on Sunday and no other day of the week. You know, it's time for us to become more hands-on, all-in as we approach our young people. And uh, we wanted to get it off the ground. So we did a, a, a pre-march. Uh, our first attempt was November 1st. And uh, we had a small group. There might have been 100 of us out there marching. And uh, the police uh, also joined because they understood that what we're trying to do is to create a new narrative also with young people and the relationship that they have with, with the police, the District 10 in our community. And so they joined in and, and, and everyone seemed to be very affirmative that this is something that we need to do and we need to draw more people into it. So we planned for another six months and we had our official launch on May 1st, um, right outside of St. Agatha. And um, we, we gathered, I don't know if we reached a thousand, but, but it was a valiant effort and probably five, 600 people gathered up. Um, we had um, Sin Space, uh, the, 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 donate a stage for us and we had a lot of local vendors come out a lot of community organizations and that is that was the most beautiful thing to see the community march together for one hour for one mile for one cause and then to end outside of saint agatha which for over a hundred years has been putting the residents and the people of north lawndale front and center in their ministry um, to end outside of saint agatha on the boulevard and to do three or four hours of community gathering, of um, entertainment, of sharing, of poetry, of create creativity, and then to have employers and uh, all those wraparound services there. We had St. Anthony that was offering vaccinations on that day. It was just a beautiful display of a community rallying around our young people. We look forward to doing it again. And we'd love to have, we had a great showing from Old St. Pat's. I want to thank the congregation. Many people showed up. And, um, and, and we are blessed in North Lawndale when people outside of the community stand with us, walk with us, lean in towards us. And it was another example of what kinship is all about. Absolutely. And I think I was fortunate enough to be part of, of the march and it was, a, it was just a beautiful day but the most impressive part was like you said at the boulevard at the end of just the different resources and and things and people coming together for the in the community there was even some great tacos i remember of just having that kind of that community experience together the poetry the music and just that be able to share together um it was just a beautiful thing to see now is this something that we hope to, uh, to continue to grow and continue to see going forward be a yearly event at least mm -hmm. The other thing I the other thing I can add, if you can hear me, uh, is um... Father Larry, you you muted yourself. Delivered our cell phone deal as well to Little Village, and uh, it was the beginning of uh, really a great way to bring the Latino community and uh, and the African American community together. Uh, we started some good relationships with uh, the Puntalis uh, uh, group at uh, at St. Agnes of Bohemia. Uh, we started a great relationship with uh, Central States uh, SUR, um, with um, the uh, um, Midwest Latino Chamber of Commerce, uh, and with the uh, Little Village uh, uh, Youth Collaborative Group as well. So, um, so it's just a great way to bring the two communities together that are often divided, um, you know, or divided from the outside oftentimes. 
uh, and uh, to bring us together. And we're hoping to build on those relationships, uh, continue to build up this, this thousand man march in regard to those communities, but also uh, to look at other ways we can collaborate across, uh, you know, across the artificial borders that, that uh, are out there that, uh, you know, uh, that sometimes separate us, but uh, uh, we, we share a common cause in, in trying to raise up our youth and our families and our communities. Wonderful. Well, and I'd also uh, like, can I add one more thing on there? I'd, I'd like to add that, you know, we talk a lot about jobs and of course, giving people, giving people meaningful work is, is critically important. But I think what Father Larry, um, one of the gifts he brings our community and Wyman, uh, of course, is also trying to, to jump in on this as well, is to help people answer the, the two most fundamental questions that every human being needs to answer. You know, who am I and what am I? And uh, giving someone a job without answering those questions is doing them a disservice. But people need to know who they are that they are children of God, that they are deeply loved, that they are people of significance, that they are people of value, that they are people of worth. And so I just want to give a shout out to all organizations who may not be in the area of workforce development or job creation, but they're really trying to help people, all the shepherds out there that are helping the sheep try to really understand who they are, that they are part of God's family and they add value to our community just by being them. And then, of course, what they are. And Father Larry has been helping lead many of us as organizational leaders through a, through a mentoring curriculum called giftedness. And this mentoring curriculum, and I would encourage anyone who is interested in being a mentor or being mentored um, to engage this curriculum by contacting Father Larry, but it helps you answer the question, what are you? And um, how has God uniquely gifted you? What are your passions? Uh, what, are your, what are your giftedness? What is your calling? And how can we unleash that potential? It is needed in North Lawndale. Whatever you are, we need it. Um, it's gold. We're in, a, we're in a little bit of a desert. So bring your tree, bring your fruit, bring who you are, and watch how God is going to use it. Um, you know, light shines in the darkness. So what aspect of light are you and how can you shine bright in this community called North Lawndale? So answering that, what are you, will also help us better equip people for meaningful career and work engagement. Um, I always say that it was the calling that brought me to North Lawndale, but it's the love that has kept me here. And I'm so appreciative to Father Larry and uh, the others that um, are working so diligently to help um, all of us think through who we are and what we are and how we can make a difference collaboratively. That's, that's just beautiful, inspiring. I, you know, my Father Larry and, and Antoine, you're definitely an oasis of inspiration, I think, in, in a, uh, a growing and emerging area. The, and I think to wrap this up, the kind of the three asks of, of North Lawndale Works is donate, network, and engage. What, you know, in addition, Mike, uh, to what Mike said, how about, you know, Mike Hobbs, what do you see as ways for more people to get involved, especially from the, the parish? Antoine, what, what kind of needs do you see uh, going forward? Well, I think the thing that Old St. Pat's brings to this is the fact that the community of Old St. Pat's has resources and people with education background and experience and we just have to go to that community and say here's what we need and we've been starting to do that better this past six months when for example when uh, new covenant community development needed an audit firm to audit their 501c3 so that they could present themselves better when they're asking for grants they were not able to to get one and they kind of sent a plea out and i came back to old st pat's and said we need to find an audit firm for them. And it doesn't matter what it is that some business or somebody in North Lawndale needs. We, I want to be able to use North Lawndale Works as a conduit to say, hey, old St. Pat's community, this is what we need. Will you volunteer? Will you provide a service? And so we want to be able to take those resources that the community of old St. Pat's has and use them to help facilitate all the things that are happening and the businesses and opportunities that they're trying to grow in North Lawndale, 
in addition to, you know, it may be somebody who has a, a business that can hire people, but there's just a lot of other resources, whether it's legal or whether it's mentoring volunteers. We've got probably several hundred volunteers and we just have to keep re-asking our community because it's a large community and they don't all hear it at the same time. So I think our uh, announcing each month, you know, what's going on, what are the things that are happening as a result of Old St. Pat's and North Lawndale Works walking with the North Lawndale community, you know, keeping them informed and asking and saying, here are other resources we need. And we've got to keep going back and asking that. And I told Vince, I said, I'm not afraid to ask and I'll keep asking because people want to help, but we have to let them know what's needed. So that's the biggest resource that Old St. Pat's brings. And North Lawndale's got to know they can come to North Lawndale Works and say, we need help with this. Can you help us find these resources? And we've got to then take that and figure out who can help us bring that to the North Lawndale community. Well, that's great. And, I, and if I can add to that, I, if I can add to that, I just, I would add that, you know, as we're talking about this, we're not looking, we're not automatically looking to next year. We're also looking to what do we do in the, in the interim. And, uh, and so we are looking at plans for the summer of, of uh, you know, of, of a collective way. How do we, you know, how could we, for example, how can we all come together, different parts of the community and feed people? So like we're feeding the whole community, uh, you know, on, you know, breakfast one morning or whatever throughout the, throughout the community. Old St. Pat's can help with that in a number of ways. Um, we're, we're partnering St. Agatha with a group called Hungry Bear. It's a, it's a cryptocurrency uh, coin that has just come on the market that is focused on philanthropy, you know, and particular, particularly around hunger. And so, you know, how can we, you know, how can we, you know, continue to promote that? And, uh, you know, last, uh, on Tuesday night, we gave out 150, uh, you know, bags of fresh fruit and vegetables and, and uh, eggs and milk and you name it across to 150 needy families in, in the community. Uh, and I know, you know, as the, you know, as the, uh, you know, subsidies, you know, decrease from the government in terms of food outreach and as, as food prices increase, uh, there is a great need for that. But along with that, how do we, you know, not only feed people, but, you know, you know, uh, you know materially, but how do we feed them in, in terms of their, their spirit and, you know, intellect and all those different things. And Old St. Pat's can be a big help with that. And in those lines too, part of that is uh, Old St. Pat's has been helpful with uh, My Brother's Kitchen as a way of, of uh, giving back and volunteering. And right. I think a lot of our members have helped out that way. And I think once mm -hmm. uh, this COVID thing finally goes away, be looking forward to getting back into it and helping out more in different ways. But I just want to say this has been a uh, definitely a delight. I want to thank all of you for being our guests and uh, sharing your stories. And we look forward to hearing more from all of you. So uh, thank you very much for joining the Radical Kinship Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Next, we continue in dialogue with OSP owns Mike Hobbs and special guest Martana Wilkin. Martana shares his experience growing up in Chicago, serving eight years in prison for armed robbery, and the challenges he faces in seeking employment after being released. Martana shares the struggles of finding a job before and during the pandemic and the added stress of having a criminal record that still follows him along long after his sentence. Martana also discusses his quest to go back to school and to start a not-for-profit, Modest Ways, to aid others facing the same setbacks he has. Okay, Martana Wilkins and Mike Hobbs, welcome to the show. Martana, I want to start with you, and if you would just be willing to share your experience, um, both part of the criminal justice system and kind of your experience with Y-Man when you got out and meeting Mike Hobbs and your association with Vince at Old St. Pat's. Okay, great, great. Well, like I said before, um, well, when I got out of prison, I was told that um, that, that I was, there was going to be a lot of, you know, door closes in my face and stuff like that. So just kind of prepare myself for that as like a uh, hiring and everything else. Uh, but fortunately, I was able to meet some great people upon my release. Um, one of them was by the name of Vince Guider and Mike Hobbs and a few more other people. Uh, I chose to get my high school diploma upon my release, which Vince Guider was my um, high school teacher. Became great, great, great friends. I looked at him like a father. 
Uh, he looked at me like a son. Um, we did so much together. Helped me really a lot. And then he reached, uh, fortunately led me to Mike Hobbs and a few more other people. Um, that was just great. And my life has been very inspirational and motivational to me. Um, and also just organizations. I have volunteered here. They have left me to like volunteer that organization where I just rolled on my sleeves and fed a lot of people and just communicate with a lot of people and just, just met a lot of people. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's how I met those two guys. And actually, still in my life right now, motivating me to reach even higher goals uh, as far as my education, going back for my associate's, my associate's degree and uh, business administration. Uh, both guys became such a motivating force for me to do that. I was kind of hesitant at first, but, you know, <laughs> I was grateful enough to get the wisdom and the knowledge. And uh, so I'm excited about that, you know. No, that's that's great. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. And, and want to talk about what was your experience like? You, you served time. You did. Yeah. We were talking about before the show started, you did eight years. Yeah. And then um, what was it like trying to find a job, find employment, uh, and what kind of resources did you have once you were, you were cycled out of the program hmm. and released? I, yeah, I had a few resources that would allow me to, like, uh, get, like, um, temporary work, you know. And I was, I didn't have anywhere to go when I, really, when I was released. So I just did eight years, four years, and... Uh, I didn't have anywhere to go. A lot of people had very fortunate, they was, you know, paroling with family and everything. So I was uh, instructed to go to a uh, transition home, which is called St. Leonard's, really saved my life, very great place. Uh, I had a lot of great people there. And um, that was the main resource, that place is so resourceful, like so much resources reached there. So um, I was able to go there and they, it was just stipulations there. You can't work for the first 90 days and stuff like that. You got to really work on yourself. And um, the first job I had was uh, Intelligentsia, Coffees and Tea, but it was part-time. And by me living in a transition home, you're not allowed to work during programs. So it was conflicting with the program. And uh, so I was only able to work part-time. I wasn't able to work full-time. But the company went out of uh, business. And um, I was just working stuff like dishwashing jobs. I was, this real late, this real late job of dishwashing gigs and stuff like that. I was going on interviews for better jobs, you know, such as like uh, janitors for schools and stuff like that. And then one look at my background, uh, once they put my background, it's a, uh, sorry, we can't, you know. So now I have to go right back to the drawing board. I just did. Wasted probably two, three weeks of, you know, because trying to get a job is, it's like like having a job, you know, it's like you're trying every day, you, your wife or your girlfriend, we're wishing you well, your family, you know, is uh, financially, uh, you know, in trouble. So it's uh, the burden is on you as a male, you know. That's going to be pretty frustrating to get to that point, you know, you, you go you're lucky enough to get an interview, right? And then you're trying to, you, you get through those stages and you've also served your time and you're, you're, you're trying to trying to move your life in a, in a better direction. And then to have this just setback every time. Yeah, it's a long walk back to the bus stop. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long thought back as you get thinking like, you're going there with the hopes of, you're already jittery, you're probably stumbling over your words. You got to practice over, you got to do more than what the usual person would do for an interview. You got to readjust. You got to constantly learn, you know, uh, say your lines before you go in there. I was doing all this type of stuff. And, um, and it was just for jobs like just a general job or anything like that. And that was, it was, I was just told I couldn't do this for 10 years. You know, you wouldn't, you, you can't do this for 10 years because you did this crime, even though you served the time. You still have to wait 10 years just a month before you know anything. So it left me to just think, uh, do I go backwards or do I go forward? You know, and if you don't have enough, people in your corner like Mike Hobbs or Vance and these those two examples, then you're going to be going back. No, it, it, you know, you bring up a good point. Interviews are, are, are nervous, nerve wracking enough as they, as they are. And to, and to have that extra struggle, just, you know, not knowing or that uh, 
the uncertainty if this is, is going to work out. Mike, I'd be curious to know how uh, you and Martana met and uh, what your experiences have been like together. Well, the first time I met Martana, uh, we were attending an event at St. Agatha's, and I think he had come to that event with Vince Guider, and uh, Vince just introduced me to him, and I talked to him for a few minutes, and uh, I don't remember all the details about that event, but there was a gathering of people from Old St. Pat's Parish and St. Agatha's uh, getting to know each other and learning more about the community around <clears throat> St. Agatha's, which is the North Lawndale community. And uh, then I, I met Martana one other time and I don't remember where it was and uh, didn't really have a conversation or anything, but in talking with Vince <clears throat> at different times, I knew he was mentoring Martana. And uh, two years later, uh, a few days before Christmas, Martana called me and said, Mr. Hobbs, I'm living on the train. And I said, what does that mean? And he told me that uh, the home he'd been living in, uh, he had been uh, asked to leave and he didn't have any place to go and he didn't have any money, resources or whatever. And it was about, I think it was four or five days, might've been 10 days before Christmas. And so we talked for a few minutes and I agreed to uh, give him some cash so he could eat and take care of himself. And that started a longer term relationship, which was uh, two Christmases ago. And <clears throat> I continue to uh, check in on him and uh, support him and uh, encouraged him to go back to school while he's in this kind of desert where he can't get a full time job. I said, if you do nothing else, get some education because that's a gift you give yourself. So I've been one really encouraging and quite honestly pushing him to do that uh, so he can make himself more desirable, hopefully for a future employer. And at the same time, hopefully as this time passes, maybe the opportunity will come to somehow uh, get rid of that felony conviction he's got so that that's not the first thing people find out about and then say, we're not interested. Uh, my goal is eventually for him to be this presentable person. So somebody really wants to hire him for what he is and who he is and not uh, hire him because, well, he's a, a felon and, you know, we hire a few of those people. So uh, he's a bright young man that stayed clean since he got out of prison. And I'm so impressed with that. And all of the issues he's dealt with growing up, I just can't hardly begin to comprehend the lack of family and support that a young man has dealt with and still continues uh, to live the straight and narrow in my vernacular. Uh, I'm impressed with that. So I think very highly of Martana because of his ability to live through these difficult times and yet not uh, go back to uh, the life he had before and get himself in trouble. It's, uh, it's impressive from my point. No, that's great. And Martana, you, we were talking, would you like to share what your, your dreams and hopes are with school, what, you, what you're currently studying and where you want to go uh, from here and, the, uh, and to help people that in similar circumstances that you've gone through? Yeah. Um, so my dream right now, ambition right now is to be uh, my own, you say, program of operations, uh, transitional home trying to help someone or someone, you know, uh, that just don't have anyone to go, don't, don't have anywhere to go upon release. They can come to a modest, it's a, it's a modest house, you know, and it's modest way to organization, but it's modest house, transitional home, that's far-fetched, but that's my dream. That's my, um, you know, uh, what I'm drifting towards. So just to really help someone like someone helped me to really give back in that way really stand at you know the, the hand so that's, that's something i want to do and i just feel like it's just what uh the programs that was just in there was very effective too uh i never had anyone to like sit down and we discuss meetings like that like i value that that's something i want to bring to my uh house one day you know because i know i know so many people that gain wisdom from that type of circles and reflect, you know, reflection, like, it's, 
helped me to realize a lot, you know. But if I didn't have that place to go to, then I was forced to do another three years. So I would have to do my whole term. My holiday, I would have to do the parole time and everything if I didn't have that place to go to. So no, it's great. They call it max out. Well, and you know, it's great that you're, you're using this experience to, to not only get the education that you need and to, to make those efforts like Mike was talking about, but then also like you, to extend that hand back to others who have found themselves in you know, similar situations. Can you elaborate, you can, you know, but from your own past, like what, how, once you get involved in, in the criminal system, like how does this, how does it impact you? What leads you to that? And then, you know, what are some of the struggles you have to try to move away? Because uh, we always hear about in the news, like the recidivism and, you know, people, once you get in, you're, you're kind of trapped in this endless cycle one way or another. Like, have you experienced that? You know, have you seen that happen before? And like, how do you, how does somebody in your situation remove themselves from that? You gotta have something that that's an outlet. For me, it was it was um, peer pressure that was that would have led me backwards. Um, because you get out, and y'all said you might have to be struggling with a a job or just simply broke, and you see you're around people, other people that's doing a little bit financially better than you, but they doing negative things too. So. To navigate around that, to not to be a follower and to be a leader, you gotta do. You have to have to have an outlet and make it look cool so others can, you know, see that that's help that's benefiting you in some way. Like one thing, what what I mean by that is, uh, I'm gonna speak about education. You might have someone that's a drug dealer on the block all day, selling, stand on the block selling drugs, and me, I'm in here in Washington. And I might get out and I might see him like, hey, I'm telling him about my day. Hey, man, I just went to school. I just met this girl. I just did my homework. You know, I'm making it look cool. It was, it's an outlet for him. You know, so you got to make, you got to make whatever you're doing look cool enough to, to fight against the peer pressure that's out here. And if, for some people, it may be sex. It may be cars. It may be, you know, you might see, uh, it may be drugs. It may be anything, you know. But you gotta to navigate around that was very. I was very grateful to have someone like Mike Hobbs and Vince in my ear, to, you know, calling, checking in on I me. Mean, I don't. I was married before, but I'm divorced now. So a lot of holidays that just passed. It was no, you know, it was just like just me. But it was Mike Hobbs, the one that was calling me, and Vince, mostly Mike Hobbs, and calling me. Hey, how you doing, my time? It's Easter or it's Christmas. I'm just calling, checking in on you. You know. And I ain't just saying that because he's on the phone, but it's just like, I really, it's the, it was times like, that was all I had, you know? That was the only person that's calling me. So it's like, whoa, that was the outlet. It's more, this, this person is room, room to me more than, a, you know, somebody on the negative side is. So I gotta, it's an outlet. I gotta connect this source with mine. And I gotta, you know, so you gotta just be, you know, so I learned to be crafty in that way, but it, it was very hard. It was like, you seeing people like 19 years old, Maseratis or BMWs, and you like, what in the world is I'm doing wrong? You know, and they doing negative. You know, so it's, it could be tricky. And then your, you might go home and your wife looking at you like, I need three, four hundred on the rent. You know, you like, what? I ain't. But you don't want to tell her that. You just like, I got you. So now you putting pressure on yourself. <laughs> it's like, to really, it's like, man, I'm going to be honest. It's like, that was one of the reasons why my marriage became to an end because this is this is a good story this is a true story i was interviewing for a, a company called abm janitorial and they interviewed me three times three times three days different days and they was liking me they like man i like you man you're a good guy you're knowledgeable you know what you talk you know about the job and everything and i told my wife like i got this job i know it we was two months behind on rent and it was just she was really looking forward she was, it was just fine I went there for the last time and I used like look for an email and um we're gonna tell you come in and we're gonna meet you, you know, meet this guy. I never got the email. So I called it, I was texting I mean emailing the guy like, hey, what's going on? He's like, Oh, unfortunately we went with another guy because of your background. And I was like, Whoa, if I would have never reached out, I would have never knew. So I was forced to face my wife, which is that's like facing a judge. You know, if anybody knows, that's like real hard to do. Like I ain't got it, you know, 
and it was it wasn't the same after that, you know. No, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to hear that, but it's you know good for you and, and for that. You see the negative. I like how you put it that way. There's the negative action, and there's the positive action, and that positive one is just never as as quick as we would like for you know for that uh, yeah. to kind of get you where you want. But especially all that pressure you had to put on um, that was put on you, and then like you said, you put on yourself because you want to be a provider. You want to take care of yourself and for your family, but you just keep having this constant battle and, and, and constant struggle. Mike, have you yeah. seen that too with your involvement with uh, Y Man and the, the North Lawndale Works? You know. Both with Martana, and I know we talked about this a bit in our previous sessions, but you know, what can employers do to help people like uh, Martana in, in these situations who just can never get over this hurdle of, have, of well, having, having a felony conviction and you know, doing their time? My experience with uh, uh, hiring people with uh, uh, felony convictions is, is not extensive, but I had a company that I owned until 2015 and uh, we hired 35 people in the previous 10 years that all had gaps in their work history for various reasons. And in that group, there were a few people, two or three that had uh, felony convictions and, and we took them on and, and said, you know, we'll give you an opportunity. And uh, if you make it fine, if you don't, it won't be because we didn't try. And then we had a lot of other people that, that we hired that were, uh, probably were drug addicts or I don't know all the details of them, but they had some personal problems for any number of years and then had trouble getting a job. And uh, the care organization here in Chicago uh, came to me and said, would you be willing to hire people? And uh, I set it up and said, we'll give them a chance. And, you know, if they work, it's great. And, uh, and I told them, I said, when they came in, you know, I want you to succeed. And if you can get a better job in a year or two or six months, that we'll, we'll recommend you if you've done a good job here. So when I met Martana, uh, you know, I thought, well, why wouldn't somebody hire him? If, if I still had my company, he'd be working for it, uh, I can tell you. But uh, I, I sold it in, in 16. And so as I started looking around, trying to figure out what other kind of things would I like to do, uh, I got more involved with different activities in North Lawndale and I kept meeting young black men that could not get a full-time job because they'd been incarcerated for a period of time. And so a lot of them had become entrepreneurs or they work part-time at two or three jobs because nobody is willing to hire them full-time. And I just uh, uh, find this very difficult because they paid their time and they're good, decent people. And they're saying, give me a chance. And yet, uh, there are very few companies that are willing to do that. So uh, my, my interest now is, is trying to help people either get an education or get a job through training and whatever it takes, because that's what makes the difference in people's lives, particularly young black men who in North Lawndale, there's about 35% unemployment. And it's mostly males from 20 to 35 years old. And uh, there's a lot of interest going on in that neighborhood and uh, prison reform and all these things. So uh, in retirement, it's one of my interests is in trying to help young people make a better life for themselves through both education and helping them get a job. No, that's great. And, you know, thank you both for you know, sharing your, your time and your experience uh, about this. Mart Martana, just leave it with you. What, what inspires you? What can we take away to, uh, you know, that keeps you going, keeps you motivated? And how can we as a community, you know, help you and, and people in your situation to keep moving forward together? Um, what inspires, I think one thing that inspires me right now and keep me going, the fuel is uh, rehabilitation, like just turning myself, just not realizing that, you know, it wasn't going to always be bad. You know, I tell myself that, like, because I used to always think it was just going to be just, man, rough. I had a rough hand in life, and I had to throw a pity party. But I just had a rough hand. So I just, you know, just realizing now that stuff is just, like, looking better. Like, man, you know, I can go on my front porch and get the paper off the stairs. I can, you know, do sip coffee. While I'm, I could do the stuff that I finally been wanting to do. Like, and to other people, it's like, oh, tactics or whatever to survive but to me it's just like stuff i've been wanting to do 
uh, just flip open a laptop and just with a button up on, look sophisticated. You know, <laughs> like I wasn't, I wasn't, I could do that type of stuff, not going to be coming from work or rushing to school. You know, so it's just like just a blessing and just realizing that fate, everything, you know, the, you know, tough times don't laugh, people do, you know. I'm living though that statement like that, you know. So and just really just connecting with others. One uh, way that I think we helping each other is basically doing this podcast right now is uh, allowing others to partake in, you know, what the struggle and let let a person see, hey, this is a young brother that did it, that that was um, you know, affected by you know the struggle of uh, getting released and getting rejected from jobs and everything and uh, just getting it out there, getting a voice out there and having someone to talk to. And that's, that's what I'm getting from you. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's something that keeps me going every day, just realizing, you know, that, and I, I'm, I'm the last one, you know, I'm the, I don't have all my brothers, everybody is gone. It's just me, you know, so I got to make it happen, you know, and I'm still young. So. Martana, you, you're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And just know you, you've got the community at Old St. Pat's here right behind you as well. So uh, for, we want to hear more about you as you go on, uh, as, you, as your studies and your nonprofit continues to grow. Thank you for being an inspiration to the rest of us. And uh, Mike, as always, thank you for your time. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about your work in the future as well. Uh, but thank you very much. This has been a delight. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Good to talk with you and Martana. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. We now live in a time where billionaires can blast off into space. And while Martana and others who are still prisoners in a way long after serving their time struggle. This is a reminder of President Richard Nixon's first inaugural address on January 20th, 1969, where he said, We have found ourselves rich in goods, but ragged in spirit, reaching with magnificent precisions for the moon, but falling into ruckus discord on earth. We are caught in a war, wanting peace. We are torn by division, wanting unity. We see around us empty lives, wanting fulfillment. We see tasks that need doing, waiting for hands to do them. To a crisis of the spirit, we need an answer of the spirit. To find that answer, we need only look within ourselves. Yes, I was also surprised to quote Nixon, but his words on being human bring to mind Brian McLern's book, We Are the Road by Walking, where he holds, It's a good and beautiful thing to be an image bearer of God, but it also is a big responsibility. We can use our intelligence to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. We can use our physical strength to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. We can use our sexuality to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. We can use our work, our money, our time, and our other assets to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. Think of your hand. It can make a fist or it can be extended in peace. It can wield a weapon or it can play a violin. It can point in decision or it can reach out in compassion. It can steal or it can serve. If first the creation story is about the gift of being human, the second story is about the choice all humans live with day after day. To be alive means to bear responsibility of the image of God. It means to stretch out your hand and to join in God's creative healing work. Thank you for listening to Chicago's Radical Kinship Podcast, broadcasting from Old St. Pat's Church in Chicago's West Loop. This is your host, Kevin Kelly, and I would like to thank all of my guests for joining me on this episode. This podcast was made possible by the support of OSP's parish, staff, and particularly Vince Guider and Kayla Jackson. Thank you for listening.